This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, Capital Bureau Chief and host of Under the Dome. And you're listening, listening to our latest episode for the week of December 4th, 2023. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving, and now we're at our new holiday, Candidate Filing Day, to those who celebrate, which starts on Monday, if you're listening to this on Monday. I'm here to break down the news on what's coming with my Washington, D.C. colleague, Daniel Battaglia, who covers our North Carolina congressional delegation and the White House sometimes as well. And we're going to have a look at um, focusing on Congress, but plenty of other stuff, too. So. Let's get right into it, uh, Danielle. Thanks for being here again to talk about what's going on on Capitol Hill. Thanks for having me. Happy December. Yes, it's December already. Very exciting. Very so exciting. <laughs> um, we have, you know, candidate filing. Sometimes people just go to their their local board of elections. Some people make a big deal. What um, what can we be looking at this week as far as those congressional candidates who we know are running that are probably going to make a big deal about it and kind of the, the big names here? I mean, we see a lot of the normal people that we would expect, like Deborah Ross. She's running for re-election. Um, we have Valerie Fushi already in the race. Um, Patrick McHenry is in the race. And then Richard Hudson, we've seen already announcing that he is going to be running as well. Um, those two, I don't expect to see anyone running against, although you never know, but uh, those are two big names in the Republican party. So I'd be surprised if a Republican tried to take the latter two on, but we'll see. What do you think about Representative Fushi? She's a freshman. She has gotten some attention lately from um, protesters and wanting to hear more from her about the um, situation um, with Palestinians and, and Israel. Is, is she safe, do you think, as a, as a freshman? Do you think she'll have any primary challengers? Or is that one of those, you know, we'll find out type of things going on these next two? I would say, I mean, do we want to declare anyone safe at this point, even though I kind of just did? But um, she is one of my quieter members. She doesn't make a lot of news. And so I think for that reason, she could be she could be at risk maybe a little, but she's also a known entity in her area. And so I think I don't see a huge challenge there. And uh, so far, I'm looking at my notes. There's nobody who's even come out to say that they're running against her. I've heard rumors of people, but I haven't seen that come to fruition yet. Right. So we'll see if the, there's always a lot of rumors. And then when it comes time to like actually like decide what you're going to do, it, it changes. And one beyond a rumor was... Um, Aaron uh, Pere, who's the a state house member who had already declared she was running for Congress, you know, everybody knew about that. And then this past week said, no, that's not happening. I know she left me. She left me for you. Uh, yeah, she was one of the names that we expected to see. And she's a known name in District 13. Uh, what my understanding that that race has so many Republicans already going into it. And um, right now it's represented by Congressman uh, Wiley Nickel. 
He has not said what he's going to do. He basically went from a swing district into a very red district. And so um, it would be hard for him to win that. Very interesting with him is that he actually lives in Deborah Ross's district in District 2, but on the edge of Valerie Fushi's district. So there's some speculation, like, could he make a play to run against one of them? Don't know that that's going to happen, but it's a possibility there because they're both in uh, Democratic districts. And then will he get out of the race? Going back to Perret, my understanding of that situation is that money was a factor. You've got big names in there, uh, like Fred Von Cannon and um, an another gentleman whose name I'm totally forgetting right now, who has a ton of money, uh, Mr. Knott. And so I think that kind of scared her away from continuing in the race. One thing I had heard when she was going to leave for Congress is that, you know, she's one of the most prominent uh, more prominent women uh, Republican representatives, and this might mean that she would end up being able to take on a, a different leadership role whenever, I mean, again, we're looking at like post-election and whatever the caucus wants to do, but they're kind of getting ahead of things with, um, with, with Speaker Moore leaving, and it looks like people are kind of coalescing around uh, Dustin Hall if that ends up happening. Uh, but maybe Parade, you know, change things. We'll um, we'll see how how it goes. And since I mentioned more, of course, Speaker Moore. I feel like everybody knows by now. It's sort of like when Josh Stein took forever to declare for governor, and, and Mark Robinson sort of the same thing with with Speaker Moore. Um, finally, is uh, is you know officially running for for Congress and. What do you think that primary is going to be like with with Pat Harrigan? And do you, and do you think anyone else is getting into it? Ugly. It's going to be ugly. There is another person in that race. I'm pulling out my notes again because there's a lot of names to keep track of very quickly. Uh, Eric Levinson's in that race as well. Um, but right now it seems to be between Speaker Moore and Pat Harrigan. Pat Harrigan came out swinging as soon as Tim Moore announced that he would be in the race. Um, he quoted Madison Cawthorn, which is an interesting choice, saying that he didn't want to go along to get along Republican in 14. Uh, Madison Cawthorn had said that originally last last election cycle when we thought that Tim Moore was going to run there and then um, Madison Cawthorn decided to challenge him. Tim Moore ended up not running. Madison Cawthorn ended up losing his election in his actual district. Um, so it's it already got a little dicey there. Um, Pat Harrigan's making sure his name's out there. I actually am not seeing a lot from Speaker Moore. I saw that he put out a commercial this morning. I haven't had to time to look at it with some stuff going on on the Hill this morning, but I do know that he uh, has launched an ad today. Uh, with Jeff Jackson getting out of Congress and running for Attorney General, of course he was drawn out of, out of his district. Do you think Attorney General is going to be get a lot of attention? You know, it's Jackson against Satan Deberry, who's the Durham DA, and then uh, probably Dan Bishop on, on the Republican side. Do you think the the more race is the highest profile, at least maybe nationally, you know, when people are looking at North Carolina? Or do you think it'll be depending on what Don Davis does? What, what do you think? I think uh, Tim Moore would probably get more attention. Don Davis is interesting because he's a swing district and he has not declared what he's going to do. But I think when you put Dan Bishop up against Jeff Jackson in a general election, and I'm not saying that either of those gentlemen are winning, but um, that is they are both thought to be the candidate that is out front in those races. 
Um, they are both known entities up here in DC. And I think that could get a lot of attention nationally because neither of them are wallflowers. They're both very outspoken men um, in very different ways. Dan Bishop kind of uh, stirs things up up here. And uh, Jeff Jackson is known for his social media and getting his message out there to the people directly. And so that I think will raise that profile for that race on the national level more. Jackson um, was invited, didn't come to an event this past week. I covered with the Durham Committee on the Affairs of Black People, their PAC. It's this very influential um, PAC representing a lot of uh, black voters, black leadership in Durham. And uh, Jackson was in Congress this week, so, so he didn't come. Um, and uh, Durham is majority blue, and uh, all the candidates there were, were Democrats. And so uh, for governor, uh, Mike Morgan, who recently retired um, from the state Supreme Court to run for governor in the primary against Josh Stein, which I mentioned at the beginning, everybody knew has been running for, for governor forever. And of course, he is attorney general, and him leaving makes, makes that race open. And uh, Deberry was there, and she talked to the Durham voters about how they know her, that she's delivered, that she's progressive. So maybe we'll see something in the primary versus Jackson on, you know, what are your act actual progressive ideals, and how would you be, you know, Attorney General um, as far as. What it, when it comes to the North Carolina voters. So we've got to take a break and we're going to come back and wrap up our discussion of Congress. We're going to talk about one of Danielle's recent assignments that has to do with the holidays in the White House, which I was particularly excited about. And then, of course, our picks for our headliner of the week and a new council state member. So we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm Capitol Bureau Chief Don Vaughn here with my politics team colleague, Danielle Battaglia, our correspondent on Capitol Hill. Before the break, we are talking about the congressional races as we start filing and maybe some surprises and confirmations and um, coming these next two weeks with, uh, with filing every day. So, Danielle, who haven't we touched on yet that um, people should know about? Well, Representative Kathy Manning has not said what she's going to do. She's over in the 6th District, and that has become a Republican district as well. Very interesting over there. There's a lot of names that are picking up some steam. Uh, con former Congressman Mark Walker has put his name in. The mayor of High Point, Jay Wagner, is running in that race. And then, of course, we have Bo Hines, who uh, originally was supposed to be the next Madison Cawthorn. He's walked back that uh, distinction since Madison Cawthorn ended up leaving Congress in not the best light. But uh, he's very young. He studied politics at Yale. He's from North Carolina. He is one that switches districts often, and I don't know how that's going to play in the primary, but I think that his uh, opponents will definitely use that against him. 
I wonder if he loses again this time, if he, they're going to try another district next time or, or some other office. There are some people that want to run and will just like find find something else as long as they can get back in office. He might be old enough for governor next time. <laughs> well, Walker was running for governor recently until he went back to, you know, wanting to, to run for Congress again. So uh, speaking of people and what they're running for this week, this past week at the legislature was these. Uh, there's like this one day or two non-voting session that Berger and Moore have liked doing, I guess, the past few years where they don't officially adjourn, but they come back if they need to do something, like a lawsuit or whatever. And a lot of times it's just if they show up and reporters show up and, and news comes out of that. So one of the things with, uh, we talked to uh, Senate leader Phil Berger and I said, you know, are you who are you endorsing in the gubernatorial primary? Because probably since the last time I asked him, Bill Graham had gotten into it, and he's probably maybe more of like the Republican establishment pick versus Mark Robinson, lieutenant governor. And when Robinson announced in April, Berger was there, but he walked back his presence as not an endorsement yet. Well, anyway, it's official now. And he said, well, I've told him, and now that you asked, uh, yeah, you know, this is my official endorsement, so I guess it'll be in the press now, in his very Berger way of, <laughs> of responding. And uh, we asked why. You know, and asked him, um, I mean, this is a stand-up gaggle, only lasts about 10 minutes, so we didn't go into, like, every single policy that Robinson has, and does Berger agree? And uh, we had asked, we, me, myself, and other press corps reporters had asked him about a, um, a lot of the disparaging comments that Robinson has made about LGBTQ people in the race, and, and if that's a factor. And Berger said that... Uh, there aren't things that he would have said, but then talked about how Robinson supports the General Assembly's policies and this sort of thing as far as the Republican leadership, which really, when Berger in power, assuming he'll be in power uh, this next session, they, you know, need the, the governor on their side, potentially, unless they have the votes for, for an override. So it seems to be a strategic uh, endorsement. And, of course, Robinson's the front runner, so you know, it makes sense to uh, to endorse a, a front runner. Uh, let's move on. Before headliner of the week, I wanted to ask you about, oh, one more thing about Council of State. Uh, Beth Wood is leaving within two weeks of y'all listening to this. And Governor Cooper, the Constitution says that he appoints with the same party, the uh, you know interim state auditor, and that is Jessica Holmes. Jessica Holmes, for our Wake County listeners, was on the Wake County Board of Commissioners and also served as chair and ran for labor commissioner this last cycle and lost to Josh Dobson, who's now um, the Republican that, that's leaving. So Holmes is... Uh, auditor within a few weeks here and wants to continue being auditor. So we'll see how that's, that goes. So, all right. So let's talk about the, the White House tree. Tell people all about that and the North Carolina connection. So the tree's from North Carolina, which is great. Uh, I love when the holidays come from North Carolina up here because I get to cover it. So um, it was brought in on a carriage, a green carriage that says White House Christmas tree buy some Clydesdales and brought to the first lady who came out and blessed it to come into the White House. This tree gets to stand in the blue room, which is like basically the reception area of the White House to meet dignitaries and stuff like that. I think they're estimating 100,000 people are coming through the White House for various Christmas parties throughout the year, throughout the year, throughout December. Um, those parties have already kicked off. I've seen pictures of them already going on. Um, I haven't seen the tree decorated yet. I think I'll see that next Wednesday. 
but it's very exciting to have a North Carolina tree this year. And what's it like, you know, listeners may have known that um, Danielle and I are both from Northern Virginia. Um, what's it like getting to getting to be there and see it? I mean, of course, you're reporters and you can still have like happy things that you cover, too. And, and what was that moment like seeing that and just like that this approach? Of course, you're crowding out with other reporters trying to, you know, job wise, but also just it's cool, right? I would say I was wrapped around a pole. I took a picture and put it on Twitter so you all can see it. I uh, was wrapped around a pole. So for me, it was not the most fun experience, but being there uh, in person, Don and I have gotten to go to these events growing up through our lives, not the tree delivery, but like, you know, there's Christmas tree lighting. I know Don loves the Capitol Christmas tree. Um, so actually getting to see these moments where like the first lady comes out and gets the tree and brings children, that's just like an added extra that like only some people get to see that's really exciting and i'm glad that i get to bring that back to north carolina and say hey you got a tree here so that's a good segue into my headliner of the week which is that when danielle mentioned the capitol tree she meant the u.s capitol tree which if you ever go up to dc you can wait in the long line to see the tree outside the white house but the one outside the Capitol is the cooler one that you can get to go uh, go up closer to. And if you go at night, you can actually park for free in a parking lot nearby. So I always do that you're, whenever you're I'm up seeing my parents. You're not supposed to park there. It's permitted. Uh, I don't think like maybe out of hour. So uh, nobody heard that. I didn't. I didn't suggest <laughs> that at all. So, uh, but but, you know, they could tell people not to park there if they wanted to. So. Um, so anyway, my headliner is the North Carolina State Capitol Tree, which is late lit kind of late in the year. That's just the tradition that the Capitol does the first Thursday in December. So there's a ceremony lighting, Governor Roy Cooper, who is someone that actually like also gets a lot of uh, joy, I would say, out of holiday events like that. He'll be he'll be lighting it and there's always a ceremony and then this weekend. Uh, the public, who's, you know, it's taxpayer-funded executive mansion, you can go see it uh, decorated for the holidays, which is always a, a fun tradition for a lot of people. Um, all right, Danielle, who or what is your headliner of the week? Well, I feel like I'm bringing this down because I want to match <laughs> your, like, festive. But uh, we're recording this on Friday, and this morning, George Santos was expelled from Congress. This is a really big deal. I feel like every time I talk to the public, I say like, hey, this unprecedented thing happened in Congress this week, which is becoming a cliche. But he is the sixth person in US history voted out of Congress. Um, the vote was, I don't have the number in front of me, but 114 Republicans tried to keep him in office. Um, there was a lot of feelings about he's not convicted of a crime right now. How do we do this? There's uh, the past three people either had ties to the Confederacy, and that's why they were voted out. The other two were convicted, I believe, felons. Maybe there was a misdemeanor in there. Um, and so some wanted to wait for that conviction to take place. But there's been so many things that have come out on, on George Santos, including a recent ethics report that most of the House felt that it was time for him to leave. So that just happened now. Well, for people that think that Congress hasn't done anything lately, they actually did something. So there you go, right? Hasn't done much. <laughs> All right, we're out of time uh, for Danielle Battaglia and Don Vaughn. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome. 
at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening.